What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Awesome, awesome. Listen, uh, by the way, our band was, were they on point this morning? Was that awesome? Uh, how many of y'all, how many of y'all grew up uh, going to school in like the 90s? Y'all are, my people in high school was in the 90s. What's up? Y'all remember Weezer back in the day, right? Y'all felt like it when they were jamming out Weezer. Y'all don't know what we're talking about, but y'all have heard of Weezer, so that's good. But that's good. So anyway, uh, but that was, that was fun for us. Listen, not a shame. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it at the end. So if you have kids, I'm telling you, you will be disappointed if you don't sign them up because they will be disappointed because they don't get to come. So as soon as service is over, go to our next steps desk. That's hard to say. And go to our table in the back and sign them up because it is going to be so much fun. We're going to do that song we just did. And, but it's just going to be a whole lot more crunk than it was just now, and it's going to be so much fun, and we got stuff planned that it's going to be the best night ever, but only two nights, so not just one. So it's going to be amazing. And then the other thing, if you, if you could stay, if you're a lady and you would stay here after service, we have food for you, we have child care. It is going to be so much fun uh, talking as a group for our ladies' study that has been going on the whole month of July and now this week. And so we hope you'll stay for Digging for Real. It's going to be amazing as soon as service is over. So today, listen, today is week seven of our 10-week uh, four-point stance, and this is what we believe God desires for our church to be. And of all the weeks, of all the weeks, this is the week that should, as a pastor, make me nervous to preach because it's on a subject that most people don't want to talk about. There's two things that pastors don't want to talk about if you interview them, and it's uh, sex, which I like to talk about, and money, <laughs> sex and money. And the, those two things are like, you, you can't talk about them. And for some reason, I like to talk about both. They just, they're, they're, they're both good, as long as they're handled in the right way, right? So they're, they're both really good things. Money is not bad. I want to I help everybody calm down just real quick right here with helping you understand one thing. Money is good. <laughs> Everybody's like, money's the root of evil. Yes, if you read your Bible one time, and you scan through it, it does say money and evil in the same sentence, but it says the love of money. Ah, that's a big difference, isn't it? So loving money is the root of all kinds of evil. But money, it's good. It helps. If you have bills and you have money, you don't have bills anymore, and that's a good thing. So money's not bad. Money's not bad. This is why people don't like to talk about it, and this is why you feel uncomfortable. And if today's the first time you're at church, Today's the first time you're at this church. We want to say how excited we are that you're here, and we want to welcome you here. And you're probably thinking, see, I told you that that preacher's going to talk about money because every time I come to a church, all they want is my freaking money. Bunch of money-hungry, crazy people at churches. And we know how you feel, and that's not how we feel at all. Matter of fact, I think you're going to leave here today saying <laughs> that's definitely not what he said. But here's the deal. When it comes to my money... That's one of the areas, that's one of the areas that I'm not really comfortable talking about around people. Maybe with the exception, if you make a million bucks a year, then you're probably willing to tell your buddies, I drop seven-figure income, so we can talk about it anytime you want. But other than that, it's kind of private, right? I mean, what I make is what I make. What's mine is what's mine. It's none of your business, and so leave me alone. Leave me alone. Don't talk about it. But I just find it interesting that Jesus... That guy's pretty good. We should follow what he does. Jesus talked about money more than prayer, heaven, and hell combined. He talked about money. You know the reason I think that is? It's because culturally speaking, and I'm talking about us, not, not necessarily this church right now, but culturally speaking, 
I believe money is the thing, loving it, not in itself, is the thing that keeps us from a fully surrendered heart where we're free. Like the songs we just sang, I think that's what keeps us from it. And by the way, I know some of y'all are sitting in here and you're thinking, I don't have any money, so that's not me. No, it is you. It is you. Because you're the person that's sitting there going, I wish I had it. And then for those of us that, that we have a little bit, we're saying, I wish I had more. And it's never enough, is it? It's never enough. It doesn't matter if you have $10 million. I've never experienced that, but it doesn't matter. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more. We always want something else. And when that is what controls our life, I think this is why Jesus talked about it more than anything else. It, it not only messes things up, but I, I'm telling you, of, of all the people that I've talked to in our makeshift office in the back where the kids area is, since we moved into this building two years ago, everyone with no exceptions that, whose marriage is on the rocks, it's money. With no exceptions. There may have been adultery along the way, but it's always something to do with money. That always tends to be what pulls my heart fastest away from God. And so when you come to church, this is what you think. This is what you think. That pastor's going to tell me to tithe. So the four-point stance is the culture that we're building that we believe God wants us to be. And so when he flips this, this card over, when he flips this thing over, it's going to say that I'm going to tithe. Actually, it doesn't. Actually, it doesn't. It says we will give generously and cheerfully. We will give cheerfully and generously. And then if you have, if y'all got a bulletin today, the verse that we put on there is right here on your offering envelope. And it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And right here, Paul's specifically talking to the church of Corinth about another church that didn't have a lot of money, but they had brought in so much money. By the way, I look forward to the day that this happens that they had brought in so much money that he looked at the church of Macedonia and said, y'all have given enough, stop giving. Woof. <laughs> that hadn't happened yet, by the way. But like, I, I look forward to the day where you, where you look out and say that. Why? Why were they that way? Why were they that way? Because their hearts were cheerful and generous givers. So, so this is the trap that I felt like my whole life. I talked to Leah about this this week. And I really am more excited about this message than, and you're like, dude, it's money. Because I think it's a heart message more than any other we've done in a long time. And this is the deal. When Lee and I first got married, 13 years ago tomorrow, by the way, when Lee and I first got married, we, um, whoever said that, thank you for the shout out. But when we first got married, we tithed. Like, we were brought up to tithe. We did it. We knew that it was the right thing to do. And so we did it. And can I be honest with y'all? And maybe some of y'all feel this way today. It was a tax. It was a burden. Like, I dropped my money in the box, and in this case, we had offering plates, and we passed the offering plates. And every time I did, I could have made sand with my teeth. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Gritting my teeth, and I dropped it in. I'm like, Dad, gum that $250, my tickets for the Carolina games. My goodness, I could be in those garnet seats under the when it rains, or in the case of Gamecock fans, when it's 645 degrees at kickoff, I could have a little shade and maybe some cool, and I'd have drinks that they provide for me. All the money I give to the church, this sucks. Now, I'm not proud of that, but every time I did that at my home church, that's how I felt. And then I got a job working at a church, and I still felt that way. And I got a job working at another church, and I still felt that way. And the reason that I felt that way is because it was an obligation for me to give. And this is what I thought. If I give money, God, you will bless me. If I give you money to your church, in turn, you will bless me. And some of y'all have watched preachers on TV, and they've said, if you give money, you'll be blessed. 
If you give $10, God will bless you 100-fold, brother. If y'all have heard that, throw up and then kick the TV so that the dude gets punched in the face when you see that and then throw up again. Because that is the dumbest thing ever because they're taking a portion of Scripture and completely vomiting it out and messing it up. And it has ruined our culture, y'all. Because the tithe was and is a biblical principle, but it was mainly for, mainly for, Jesus did speak of it one time when he was talking to the, to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, and he said, you, you tithe and you should, but these things are what you should do more. But in Malachi, it talks about the tithe. In all these other places, it talks about the tithe. And the tithe is a good thing. It's a benchmark of what we should go to. But listen, my problem wasn't that I didn't tithe. My problem was I thought God hated me if I didn't tithe. That if I did this, God wouldn't hate me. And if I didn't do it, God would hate me. And it was all about how much I gave and if people knew that I gave. And then I mattered if I gave. So, so, like, I can't be important in our church if I'm not one of the five biggest givers. Some people have the gift of giving. And there's going to be people that give the most money. And that's always going to be good because God's blessed them and they're generous. But that doesn't mean that they've arrived and it doesn't mean that God loves them more. Here's what it boils down to. It comes down to the heart issue. And me realizing one thing, and if you, if you walk out of here and you don't remember anything I said, and on Wednesday or Thursday, you're probably not going to. So if you don't remember anything I said, I want you to remember this one thing. This one thing. God doesn't want something from me. He wants something for me. God does not want something from me. He wants something for me. And right now is when, in a message, I would say, Pastor Mark, what do you mean because you're talking about money? And I know you're going to say you're supposed to give. So how can you argue this? God doesn't want something from me. He wants something for me. And then say, my heart should want to give. I appreciate you asking that question, brother. Sister, I appreciate you asking that question. Because what we're going to look at today is something totally different. And can I just tell you all this? I said this a second ago, but I mean it. Whether you're a young person, teenager, or you're 70 years old, or wherever you are in between, this message has freed me over the past few months, maybe more than any that I've done, personally, studied for, because of the principles behind the message. That God doesn't want something from me, that he wants something for me, based in scripture. And so here's my hope today, that many of you will stand up and will leave, and will not leave like we said last week, next week, or the week after, but today... Your life will change. If you don't have a job, that doesn't matter. You still want. You still have desires that pull you and wish and wish and wish and covet. And today the hope is that we leave here knowing God and fully surrendering who we are to him. Will you pray with me, God, this morning in the next couple minutes? I really think you're going to change a lot of people. And so, God, this is all for you and by you. And we're honored to read this prayer that David prayed that shows us such a beautiful glimpse of what it really means to give and how our hearts should be when it comes to money and when it comes to you. So God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so most of y'all, if you grew up in church and if you didn't, we want to tell you if today's the first time you've heard a message, man, it's so awesome that you're here. But most of you grew up in church, and you've heard the story of like David and Goliath, and y'all are used to those things. And, and so David became king of Israel, 
And they, they celebrated David, the Israelites, celebrated David like no other king up till that point and maybe ever. Solomon was very celebrated, his son, but maybe no one. I mean, when Jesus walked around, he was born in the city of David. I mean, every, everything, he was in the genealogy of David. He was, like, everything is, David was one of, if not the most honored people in the Bible other than Jesus himself. He was, he was the man. Like, it's impossible to give you enough props about who David was other than this. In the time of David, first, the, the first king was, was Saul. They wanted a king. They came before Judah, and Israel came together, and they had a king. Saul was a bad king. David came. And then Solomon, and after that, there was never a king that held them both together. And David was so highly revered that his money and his, his accolades and what he had done is second to none today. Matter of fact, if you could study how many people David, with his hand, not with leading the army, actually killed, it would have been in the tens of thousands. He was one of the great warriors of all time. Like, People watched him to learn to fight, and he did kill that big dude named Goliath. But he did a lot of other stuff. That's not, if you stop there, you miss most of his life. It was amazing. And so if anyone had the right, if anyone had the right to be full of pride, it would have been David. And we know David messed up. We know David messed up he, with, with Bathsheba and with several other things, with putting Uriah to the front line and having him killed. We know he messed up, but here's the difference between me and him. When he messed up, he looked himself in the mirror and he begged God to forgive him and God did forgive him and then he followed God for the rest of his life. And sometimes when I mess up, I'm sorry I got caught. And that's the difference. But, but, but fast forward, we're at the end of his life. He's accomplished all these things. He's got Solomon, who's a young man at this time. And he decides one day, can you imagine, can y'all picture it with me? He decides after looking out at all of his wealth and all of his stuff, which is extreme amounts of wealth. We've got all this stuff. He lived in a ridiculous, it would have been like a castle, but it was his, it was his temple, David's temple. It was ridiculous. Like, you can't possibly fathom. The Biltmore House has nothing on this place. I mean, it, it is ridiculous. And he's looking out, and he's looking at the city. He's looking at all of his people that are in his, in his kingdom. And he's saying, all this stuff's awesome, but since we left Egypt, since Israel left Egypt, they had built a tabernacle, which was like a big tent. And it was unbelievably nice, but that's where God lived. And he still lived in a tent. And it was a big, nice tent, but it was a tent. And can't you imagine David saying, I got this unbelievable temple. And we've kept God in the tabernacle. And inside the very inside of it was called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where God literally dwelled. And he's like, this isn't right. We've got all this stuff. God's blessed us with all this, and we put God in, a, in, a, in, in this. And so he got his wise people together, and, and he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build God a house, and it's going to be the best thing we've ever. You cannot imagine how awesome this place is going to be. And he was right. When Solomon built the temple, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It, it cannot be fathomed. Y'all need to Google it and, and see some of the, and don't. Look at the idiots that don't know what they're talking about. But like some of the websites, it's unbelievable what the temple actually looked like then. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so David's getting architects together, and he's doing all this stuff, and he's gathering his wise people together, and God comes to him. God comes to him. David, it's awesome that you want to do this, and you're a man after my own heart. You can't build the temple. You can't build the temple. You can prepare 
But your son Solomon, he, he can build the temple, not you. You have too much blood on your hands. You've killed too many people. At this point, if you're David, do you not look and say, God, I killed those people for you. <laughs> like, you told me to do this, right? Don't you immediately get angry and start defending what you've done? Or, or the last thing you would do is want to raise a bunch of money, right, for something that you're not going to be involved in. I think what I would do, and this is a terrible attitude, but this is the truth. If it was me and Haston, and God wanted us, let's just say, because this seems crazy, let's just say God wants us to build a $10 million building at the church, and I get terminal cancer. It's 15 years from now, I'm still the pastor, and God says, nope, you're never going to build the building. Sorry, you're never going to get to enjoy it. But I want you to do all the work, and I want you, you to raise all the money, and when you're about to die, the ground will be broken and they'll build the church that you'll never see. But it was just a whole lot bigger than that. I think my attitude would be, dude, that sucks. Because I want this for me. This was for me. You're supposed to build these things for me. And in the beginning of First Chronicles chapter 29, which is where we're going to be today, in the, in the very beginning, it, it tells us how much money David actually gave. How much money David actually gave is 3,000 talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver. Now, that may not sound like a, a lot of money, but let me just help you how much money that is. One talent, one talent is 75 pounds. One ounce of gold, y'all stay with me, is $1,400. There's 16 ounces in a pound and then 75 pounds in a talent. Holy freaking crap, 3,000 talents is a lot of freaking gold, right? Y'all with me? So just in gold, just in gold, it's estimated between $7 and $15 billion, depending on the era, that how much the gold is worth. And then in silver and gold, at least in the $15 to $20 billion range that he gave, listen, of just gold and silver, of his own money to build the tabernacle that he would never be in. And at this point in the story, you got to go, what were you doing, bro? You're supposed to have, like, college funds... And, and give stuff away. And you can't build that. You gave three quarters of your money away? What about Solomon and then your other sons and daughters? What were you doing? That's dumb. And then David explains himself in the assembly, which means everyone was there. And he had gathered all of his people, so it wasn't just his money. It was thousands and thousands of people that had given sacrificially and said, Look what, look what we're going to do. Look what we're going to do. And then he explains it. And he gives us what I think is the sweetest passage in all of the Bible when it comes to my money. When it comes to me. When it comes to understanding that God doesn't want something from me. He wants something for me. Because at this point, I think God wants my money. Because he took three quarters of David's money to build his house. Right? So holy crap. And he didn't even get to enjoy it. That sucks. And this is what 1 Chronicles chapter 10. I'm sorry. Chapter 29 verse 10 says. And I'm telling y'all I don't care. I don't care where you are and where you've been. This is an absolute game changer when it comes to money. Because in America, it's what controls us. And for most of my life, it's what's controlled me. Even when I gave, I made sand in my teeth. I gritted so hard when I dropped it in the plate. And this is what David says. And it changes everything. It says, therefore, David, this is after it explained he had given all this money. It says, therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Thousands of people are there. And this is what he said. Blessed, blessed are you, O Lord, 
the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. God, you are blessed among everyone. It says, verse 11, yours, yours. I want you to consider who's praying this prayer, David, who was the most honored and revered and high and lifted up person on the planet at this time. Higher than Pharaoh, higher than anyone else, it was David. And he says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty all that I am. Listen, if David walked by and we were alive then, we would run in our house and we would grab our kids so that they could see him. And he says, all of the power and the greatness, all of my might, all of my great victories and my majesty, they're from you. For all that is in the heavens and earth is yours. Everything's yours. This all belongs to you, God. And he's praying a prayer to God, but in front of all these people, he said, God, this is what we believe about life. It's all yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as the head above God. You are... You are the boss of everything. You're in charge of all of this stuff. You are the boss. And if I say that, it's like, that's awesome, pastor. You're the pastor. But when David says that, it's different. Because we looked at David, if we would have been alive then, and said, no, you're the guy. You're the majesty and the glory. You're you're David. You're the king. And he says, no. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the glory. Both riches, was that guy rich? <laughs> Dude, if you have 3,000 talents of gold that you can grab, which I don't guess you'd grab that much gold because that seems like a lot. 235,000 pounds of gold seems like a lot. But if you, if you can get 35,000, excuse me, 235,000 pounds of gold together and 550,000 pounds of silver, that's a you have that many coins it's a lot but my gosh he had that many pounds he says both riches and honor come from you all that gold that I had it was yours and you rule over all in your hand is power and in this hand is might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all and now and this is it After he's thanked God for all these things. And in front of people, this is what he said. I had all this stuff. And greed should have built up in his life. And he should have looked at himself and said, look what I've done. I'm not proud of this. I'm just being honest. In the past, I've looked and said, look, God, what I'm doing. This is what's changed the game for me. I was already giving money away. But I'm looking saying, God, it's not look what I'm doing. It's look what you've done. It's not look what I'm accomplishing. It's look what you're doing through us. It's not not that I'm changing the world. It's you've already won. And you want to use me. And you look at someone like me and, and it's crazy. I don't get it. If you guys get it today and you've got money and you've got the love of money or the lack of love of money or you've got this stuff wrapped up and that is so freaking awesome. But I didn't and I don't. And I struggle still. And I look at someone like David and I said, I struggle making $30,000 a year. This guy made billions. His name was high and lifted up today. 3,000 years later, we still talk about him with great acclaim. And yet this is what he says. 
And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. We thank you because all of this comes from you. And then verse 14, I'm telling you, this is the thing that really shifts the whole dichotomy of your entire life. This, this is the game changer. This is where it's never the same. It's never the same. If you really get this and you really believe that the Lord is the Lord and you're not, of your life and your stuff, this is what changes the game. Because in front of thousands of people with David talking and it recorded for all of history, this is what he says, verse 14, but who am I? And if you're there, you're saying, well, you're King David. And maybe in history, there's never been a man more important. But he's like, nah, man. I'm just some dude that was the son of Jesse, that was the youngest of seven, that was a shepherd boy that God looked down on. No different than anybody else. And God chose to show favor on me and say, son, you're my son. I'm no different than you. I may have a title as pastor, or in his case, a title much, much, much higher as king. But honestly, that's meaningless because the only thing that matters is you, God. Why? Because all the riches and honor and glory come from you. And then this is what he says at the end. Who am I? And what is my people? Who are we? That we should be able thus to offer willingly. I'll translate that. God, I know I had $35 billion in my bank account, but who am I that I got to give you $25 billion of that? Why would you take my money when you don't need it, when you own the cattle on a thousand hills? You don't need my stuff. You don't need a superstar. You don't need anything. You've already got everything. You're God. By breathing, he made this world. He holds the universe in the palm of his hands. And this is what he says, God, I am so honored that you would look at us and say, I choose to use you. I choose to use you, friend. I choose to use you, ma'am. Who am I and who is my people? That you should look at us and take what we offer you as a sacrifice of praise. For all things come from you. And of your own hand, we have given you. Did you hear what he just said at the end? Everything comes from you. And I just gave you back what was already yours. I just gave you back what was already yours. And this is the principle that I think David wanted us to get. No matter what it comes to, and specifically in this case, as Four Points Church, we will be cheerful and generous givers. Do you know how that happens when I say, everything I have is yours, everything I am is yours, and we are so pumped up that we get to give. But what we ask is, who are we and who is our people that you would want us to give back to you? Ultimately, this is what I think it can be summarized with. Two words that you can tell if you're successful or not, and it can change the game when it comes to your stuff. When it comes to the next thing that I want or the next place I want to go or the next thing I want to do because there's nothing wrong with vacations or homes or cars as long as they don't control you. This is the bottom line. Do I honor God 
with my stuff? Do I honor God with my money? Because then I should change it, shouldn't I? Do I honor God with his stuff? And do I honor God with his money? Because everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. It's all yours. It's not mine anyway. And it changes everything. And it, and it goes from this. God, I'm going to give you 10%, right? If you're a tither like I was growing up, and that's what you do. Out of the check, first of the month, that's awesome. That's the baseline. That is very good. And I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from that. But, but if you get your $1,000 check and you, and you count out $100 and then you do this, God, you know what? From this point on, it's mine. I gave you yours. Now this is mine. It, it would be like this. I told y'all tomorrow is our anniversary. And so imagine at my wedding day, Daniel was there in the wedding and a couple, a couple others of you guys uh, were there back in 2001. I'm standing before Leah, and I see my beautiful bride walk down the aisle. My lips quivering, which is scary, because when my lip quivers, it, like, changes the temperature, and, like, everything gets crazy, right? And, I, and, I, my, my, and I'm so emotional because my bride's coming down the aisle. And she gets to, she gets to the end, and, and marriage is such a beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ, because there's a covenant that I make a bond before God and before man that for the rest of my life, I'm hers, and she's mine, just like... Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, and we're the bride of Christ as the church. And I stand before her, and on our rings it says to love, honor, and obey. And I tell Leah during our vows, Leah, I promise to love you and cherish you for the rest of my life. And I promise to honor you with 10% of my life. 10% of me is yours. Like, I don't think it would have gone well. Matter of fact, I think Leah's dad would have come down and said, ba-boom, and had me a little kick in the hiney because he'd been like, that's my daughter. Well, listen, this is why I think David got it. It's because this is what I think David's saying, okay? God, I remember what I did with Bathsheba. My life was good. Then I walked out, and I looked down, and I saw a woman that I loved and looked at, but she was married. And I looked down and I said, I like what I see. And not only did I lust, but then I went after that lust. And then I got her pregnant. And then her, her husband, who was one of my most loyal companions, Uriah. I had him killed because I wanted to cover up my sin because I'm so selfish and vain that I didn't want anybody to see it. And God... In his grace and mercy, looked at him when he was crying out. And he said, I forgive you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I know what you did and I know what you hold against yourself. I know. I know how you struggle. But it's not what you do that makes you not what you were. It's who I am that changes everything. It's who I am that changes everything, and this is how we know this. Because 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, God looked at us who were hopeless and lost and said, I'm going to send Jesus. There's never been a gift like that. Are you kidding me? He said, I'm going to send Jesus. And for the rest of, my, of your lives, you'll have hope. You'll have, you'll have a future. But here's the deal, here's the deal, here's the deal. You've got to surrender everything. And this is what I believe about the American church. 
We look at the story of Jesus and at Easter time, we get all emotional. And, but when it comes to my money, it's my money. And I believe tens of millions of Americans today are damned, meaning that they are on their way to hell. And it's not because they haven't heard the story. It's because they've held on so tightly to what's theirs. It's not yours. The minute that you realize that it's not yours is the minute that you can have freedom. That you can feel like you can walk freely. But it's only then, it's only then that I, when I realize that God doesn't want something from me, He wants something for me. And He doesn't want to take my money. He just doesn't want my money to take me. He doesn't want my stuff. He just doesn't want my stuff to take me. He doesn't want my wife. He doesn't want my kids. He doesn't want my car. He doesn't want my house. He just doesn't want them to take me. Guys, this is why I think it's a game changer. This is why I was most excited about this message. It's because it changes everything. The reason that we're not cheerful givers, it's not because we can't be. It's because we don't realize it's an honor that we get to that 122 million people, it's estimated, are being persecuted today because they follow Jesus. And who are we that we get to start with Weezer and we get to have fun and we get to stand up and we get to say, I'm yours because you're mine. Who are we? Who am I? And who is my people? Who am I? That you would choose to take our gifts and our offerings. Guys, I'm telling you, it changes everything. It changes everything. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to give enough. You don't have to do enough time in the Bible. You don't have to pray more. We do it because we get to, not because we have to. And when it comes to your money, God doesn't want your money. He already owns it all. He wants you to surrender everything, everything, everything to Him. And so this is the question. Will you allow it to hold you in captivity still? Or will you for the first time for some of you in your life stand up and say, I surrender everything. My kids, my job, my life, my cars, my house, my money. I surrender everything. God, it's yours. It's yours. I want you to have it. It's yours. And that's the invitation. That's the invitation. I believe there's people here. I believe there's people here that you may not know Jesus. And for the first time today, you need to trust Christ as Savior. And I believe there's people here that in your heart you've said, Jesus, I know you. But you've never said everything's yours and it's an honor for me to give you everything. Does that mean you should write the church a check for everything? Of course not. It just means you honor God with your whole life and you're excited for what you get to do. And there's not a, there's not a maximum that you've got to hit. There's a minimum that you want to hit. And so our invitation to you today, just a minute, is for you to stand up and say, Lord Jesus, for the first time in my life, I stand up and I surrender all to you. King Jesus, it's all yours anyway. I want all of you to be in all of me because I realize that you don't want something from me. You want something for me and you just don't want me to take it. And so if that's you today, what I invite you to do is just stand up with me and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life, my cars, my stuff, everything that is me. And so where you are, just stand up all over the room. I just want you to stand up and say, that's me. That's me, Jesus. That's me. I need to surrender all of who I am. 
Because I realize, guys, this is really a game changer if you mean it. If you're not standing because someone else is, it will free you from so much turmoil and so much hurt. So here's what I want you to do as the invitation. If you stood up and you know that for the first time today you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior and to be your Lord, I want you to step out right now. I want you to step out right now. We got people waiting at the back and they're waiting on you because you know that you've never responded to the gospel with your heart. But if it's not, and if you've trusted Jesus, you should leave here and never be the same again. God, who are we? And who is my people? That you should allow us to give back to you. God, everything comes from you. Everything is by you. What an honor it is that you don't want something from us, that you want something for us. And God, help us allow this to be what changes the game for us for the rest of our lives. God, I believe this morning that we're going to have a group of people that are so generous that we're going to be able to help the poor and help the needy and help the widows and all the people that need something because we can be your vessels. Why? Because it's all yours anyway, and that's what you desire for your church. So God, this morning, we, we offer you all of us not just our money, not just our time, but all of us and say, God, it all belongs to you. Thank you for looking down on us and saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Today, Lord Jesus, we give you praise because you are worthy to be praised. And honor and riches and glory comes from you. Jesus, we love you.